A Psalm of David. Oh, that's right. I forgot this psalm. It's great. (laughs) When he pretended to be mad before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall be continually in my mouth. Now my soul shall make its boast in the Lord, and the humble shall hear of it and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Now I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all of my fears. And they looked to him who were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him. And he saved him out of all of his troubles. And the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and deliver them. One of the best lines in the Bible, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. O fear the Lord, all you his saints. And there is no want to those who fear him. Now the young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Now come, you children, and listen to me, for I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days, that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Speak peace and pursue it. Now the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his eyes are open to their cry. And the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of those from the earth. And the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and delivers them out of their troubles. Now the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and saves such as had a contrite spirit. Now many are the afflicted of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them, all of them. For he guards his bones, and not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. For the Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Let's pray and edit it out. Lord, thank you again for all that you do for us. Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Lord, for us to just sit here and taste that you were good to us. Whatever the week we are going through, whatever pain is in the room, whatever affliction is happening outside of our walls, to those who are at home watching us, the grief that many are going through today, the last few months, and even what will come. But Lord, we trust in you. We don't fear or fret what man can do. We put our hope in all that you are and not who we are. So Lord, that you would touch our hearts tonight, that you would draw us close, that we would be aligned with your will and your purpose for our life. Lord, we thank you again, and we pray, Lord, that you'd bless those serving in children's ministry and in youth ministry. 
Thank you for those over the internet and over the radio now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this scene here from Psalm 34 is recorded in 1 Samuel 21 and 22. This is when David, he is fleeing uh, Saul, and he goes down to Gath, and he comes to that border town where the Philistines are, and he feigns madness, or he pretends to be mad. Now, none of you have ever done that, so we'll go right through that, but no, again, he is a fugitive from Saul, and so David went to this Philistine city. Now, think about that. David uh, is trusting in the Lord in all things. He's been on the run for a long time, but why does he go to a city, and more specifically, that is outside the bonds of uh, the, the uh, Israeli nation? Why does he do that? Why do we run to the world when we have our dad right there? Why do we go into this town? Uh, and here's the scene. He goes to the town, but he realizes um, uh-oh, remember that he had killed uh, a bunch of Philistines uh, as well as he had taken the foreskins of them and he had thrown them down. <laughs> That's a good way to start the Wednesday night. Uh, to Saul for Saul's daughter, remember that? He's on the run. And so now can you imagine the Philistines and they look at him and they go, hey, isn't that King David? the one whom has got the hit song, King David slays his thousands and tens of thousands, but Saul is hundreds. So what do you do in that situation if you're David? Well, number one, you shouldn't be in Gath to begin with. You shouldn't be in enemy territory. And so David has to do the following. David has to feign or he has to pretend that he is mad. He ultimately lands in the cave of Adolman, where he then gathers the desperate men all around him, and he, he, he eventually comes up with that band of brothers. God is so gracious to David uh, that he writes this song as a joy in the fact that he got out of Gath after playing crazy, and then back to where God had wanted him to be, which was in the wilderness of Adullam with those desperate men. This joyful and wise psalm seems to be written while he is in that run, on the run, or in the cave. So let's take a look at it. I will bless the Lord at how many times? How many of you have blessed the Lord on the run? How many of you have blessed the Lord when you know that you're being persecuted? I, I mean, now that you know the context of this, think about this. God blesses the Lord after David got himself into, into a pickle, and then God got him out of the pickle. How many? Uh, that's, that's like every day with us. And he says, I bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. For my soul shall make its boast in the Lord, and the humble shall hear of it and be glad. The idea here is everything that's in me, my soul, the bowels of what I have, everything declares the Lord. Everything that I do declares the Lord. And then those around me hear of that. He says, magnify the Lord, notice, with me. Why does he say with me? 
He's got that band of mitzvahs around him. He's got that band of brothers. And so they too have been the casts off. And now they're together as this one group of mighty men. And he says, magnify the Lord with me. Isn't it great how the, how the Lord brings, uh, well, look around. I'm not saying you're mitzvahs or, but we are a band of brothers. I mean, normally we wouldn't come together, would we? Think about everybody's different background, different cultures. I mean, some of you are from New York. <laughs> Pray for me, I'm headed up into Jersey next week, so uh, we're going to need some bail money. <laughs> right? We have all of these different backgrounds, everybody, and yet we have one common, common we have one thing in common. What is it? It's, it's Jesus on the cross. And then the risen Savior. And we have something in common. And so David says, hey, well, could you magnify the Lord with me knowing that what he has done in all of our lives? I would love to at some point. How many of you grew up in a church where you had a testimony night? Okay, only a couple of you. Man, that was everyone, they, they would get, have a little time where they could come up and they could say what the Lord was doing in their life at that time. Isn't that great? We're not going to do that. Got a little bit of time. No, but in, in our prayer and worship night, you know what you can do? You can thank the Lord in your seat for what he has done for you. What, do you, what has he done for you? How can you say, magnify the Lord with me? I'd love to. The thing about our Lord is that he works individually in everybody's life. The problem is we don't know it. So we don't glorify God in that. Can you believe what he did in my life? You don't have to give all the details. This is what God has done for me. And David says that. And so he says, let us exalt his name together. He says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all of my fear. What fear? Man, you're in a town surrounded by your enemies. He said, they looked to me and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. Now he's talking about his guys. He says, the poor, poor man cries out. And the Lord heard him and saved him from all of his troubles. Now, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. And the idea is that there is a protection. And it's Jesus saying that he would like to gather Israel like a hen gathers its chicks under his wing. The protection of the Lord, the arm of the Lord, we hear that over and over. Notice he delivers them. Um, what is the ultimate deliverance of, of our Lord? You'll get a amen. It's heaven. The ultimate. Either he is going to, what did, what did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say? Either our God, after we jump in this fire, is going to protect us, right? Or we're going to be consumed and yet we win anyway, he delivers us. But at the end of the day, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to do what? We're not going to bow to you. He says he delivers them. And then verse 8, you can underline it, highlight it. It's here, you finally found it. You were looking for it for years. It's a nice thing about the Psalms. In your iPads, you can, on your phones, you can highlight a section and highlight it. I do it all the time. There you go. Geller showing the, the crowd. 
Oh, taste and see that the Lord is what? Is he a good, good father? And so tasting of the Lord, and then the idea is when Jesus says in Revelation 3, uh, I behold, I stand at the door, knock, and if anyone opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he and me. Now, this is part of that culture thing that we don't understand. Because in their day, not only in David's day, in Abraham's day, in Moses' day, in Jesus' day, to dine with something was really kind of special. Do you know why? Because they didn't have uh, forks and spoons and knives and all of that stuff. At the dinner table, they ate with their hands. I remember the first time I was in India, uh, I learned to bring my own cutlery after that trip. And so I actually have that with me because I don't know about you, but that's just a custom I'm not used to, diving in with everyone. Has no one ever experienced this but me? Okay, you're in a, there's a whole table. Wendy and I, when we were in Israel for the first time with the kids, we experienced this at Jericho. It was kind of wonderful. It was a little table. It's kind of like a, um, like a Chinese restaurant, you know, where they got that Lazy Susan thing going around, that little merry-go-round of food, and then you're, you're, you're tasting it. Well, in this culture, that's what they did. And so when you're dining with somebody, you're getting their germs they're getting your germs, and it's kind of an intimate thing, isn't it? It's not like, hey, you got your plate, I got my plate, stay away. And so to have a meal with somebody was kind of important. So what is David saying by the Spirit? Hey, taste of the Lord. Have this intimate fellowship with God, and I guarantee you it's going to be good when you do that. And blessed is the man who trusts in him. Guys, if the Bible comes down to one easy principle, I know I say it all the time, it is Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you got that, everything else is easy. Because if our God created everything out of nothing, then he has the power to do everything. Does he not? So don't get, don't get like... Messed up with the idea, well, my God can't do this and my God can't do that. But he can do that if he, Genesis 1-1, and if he came out of the tomb, and if he died on the cross for us, and if his Holy Spirit empowers the church. So blessed is the man who trusts in him. And then he says, fear the Lord, all you saints. Have a reverence of God, for there is no want to those who fear. The idea is, if my dad takes care of me. Now, if you had an earthly father or an earthly mother that did not do this in a good way in your life, you have a skewed view of God, do you not? The men were up at the retreat, and we watched a wonderful documentary. And one of these guys in the documentary said, for 50 years, it took him 50 years to wipe the face of his father earthly father off the face of God 50 years that's a hard place to be in it thinking that the heavenly father is like my earthly father and that's where the devil loves to come in and just discombobulate our brain and confuse us but if he is good then 
he'll take care of his, his own. He said, the young lions lack and they suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Now, as we work our way through these next couple of Psalms, you're going to see that theme built upon that God will take care of us and any good thing doesn't mean that you just get to put your wish list out there and then he's going to give it to you. The idea is he's going to give you every good thing that is aligned with his will. You're like, oh, I don't get that new Tesla. No, only if it aligns with God's will. He says, come you children, listen to me and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is a man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Now keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit and depart from evil and do good. <laughs> Seek and pursue it. Don't you love sometimes um, the Bible is so basic and so clear. Listen to what he says. Keep your tongue from evil, right? Depart from evil, do good, and just pursue and seek peace. He says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. God heard the children of Israel and their cry in Egypt. It was just 400 years. Now, why was it 400 years? You might think to yourself, well, that was pretty cruel. It was 400 years. But you don't know the whole story, do you? Or the, oh, there's that word we don't like here, the, the whole historical account. It is that God gave the Canaanites and those in the land of Canaan 400 years to repent of their sin, and they did not. And when they did not, then he, said, he could say to them, I gave you all of this time to repent, and you did not. But from the Jewish perspective, looking at on Egypt, it looks like God's being cruel to them. Lord, are you not hearing our cry? No, I'm hearing it. I've just been working over here as well. And I'm also trying to get a big nation out of you in Goshen because, well, you're going to populate this land. And so... The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. He says, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, and to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. All of that will happen in Revelation, will it not? We're reading that now. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and he delivers them out of all of their troubles. Now, not immediately. He allows us to go through what we go through. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that God allows us to go through those things. In fact, he gives a, a history lesson inside of there. He talks about the, um, you're thinking we're going to turn there, aren't you? All right. Let's turn there. Let's have a history lesson. No, don't do it, Pastor Ron. Go to 1 Corinthians 10. Listen to what Paul the Apostle says to the, uh, to the Corinthians. He says, Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. And they were all baptized into Moses and in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was what? And who? 
Christ. Remember, we talked about this on Sunday morning, that it's important to know the Old Testament and gives you commentary for the New Testament, but sometimes the New Testament gives us the commentary for the Old Testament. He says, but with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things became, here it is, our example to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And not become idolaters as some of them did. And as it was written, some of the people sat down to eat and drink and to rose up and to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some has also tempted and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor complain or some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. All these things happened to them as an example as they were written for our admonition upon the ages to ages that is to come. Let's go back. Into 34. So when the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them in verse 17 and delivers them all of the, out of all of their trouble, he doesn't necessarily do it on our timeline, but he does do it. Now, they had, there was a reason why they were going through their wilderness experience. They had rejected God at the border, and as a people, God says, okay, well then everybody who is 20 and under will come in, and everybody that's older than that, they will, their bodies will lie in the wilderness. But they, as they went through those 40 years and there was trouble after trouble after trouble, it wasn't there. God allowed them to go through that. Listen, but ultimately, he delivers them and us out of all of our trouble. Be it here or in the air, we will be relieved of our trouble. He says, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and he saves such as has a contrite spirit, a brokenness. God loves to put broken things back together. This is what I love about God, because he, he is the master potter. And he takes us, and he puts us back onto the wheel, and he creates in us something that we would not expect him to create. He creates a pitcher out of us, and not a pitcher on a wall, but a pitcher that you pour out of so that we would be a blessing to other people or whatever the master has chosen to do, but only to those who are near and those who have a broken and a contrite spirit. David will bring that up a little bit later as well. He said, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Now, he just said that he delivers his people out of affliction, but he says that there are those who have, uh, the, uh, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Jesus said, you will suffer tribulation on planet earth. If they hated you, they will hate me, he said. So, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of all of them. And then in verse 20, he says, you can underline this. This is important to the gospel. He said, he guards all of his bones and not one of them is broken. According to the gospel of John, David not only uh, spoke of his own experience, but he also was speaking prophetically of Messiah. John explained that the Roman soldiers who had supervised the crucifixion of Jesus came to the cross meaning to break his bones. Remember, uh, 
to be crucified, uh, they left you on the cross for many days. But if they wanted to get it over with, they would break the legs of the people on the cross, and that would cause them to suffocate. And so it was a quick death on their behalf. I mean, it, it's absolutely frightening, and I'm thankful that we have never seen that, actually. Um, the Passion of the Christ does a, an okay job. Risen does an okay job of it, but I'm sure it was much more violent than that. But as the soldiers came to Jesus, he was already dead. And just to make sure, because if you were a Roman soldier and you came back and the guy was like, hey, he's mostly dead, he's not all dead, well, you would be on that cross. So they took a spear and they shoved it up into his side, yes? And blood and water came out. His heart had ruptured at that point. But the point of all of that is that here, and in John 19, 36, he says, not one of his bones shall be broken. Speaking of this psalm, Psalm 34, verse 20, and so not only David, but speaking future of Messiah, verse 21. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate righteousness shall be condemned. I love how it says evil shall slay the wicked. Ultimately, they turn on each other. Not about you, but, and I'm not going to get political tonight. I know that's a shocker. But it's fun to watch them attack each other, and you just stand back. Those, eventually, those who are in power will just attack each other and take them out. He says, the Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be what? Condemned. Now, the devil loves to condemn us, doesn't he? But there is no, that he uh, tells us that, therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. But the, lo- the devil loves to say condemnation to you. Oh, God doesn't love you. You can't go to church. I saw what you did driving here. And on and on it goes. But the Lord does not condemn. He brings conviction, but not condemnation. All right, Psalm 35. There's a long way around that verse that chapter. He said, plead my cause, O Lord, with those who strive with me. Fight against those who fight against me. This psalm is interesting because David here is lamenting or having sorrow over his enemies. And he breaks this psalm into three areas for us. Now, listen to these three areas. We all can understand what David is going through with these three areas of life. In verses 1 through 10, David prays for deliverance from the destroyers. We've all been at, Lord, would you just remove, would you take away those who would be after me to destroy me? And then those who, in verse 11 through 18, he prays that God would deal with those who have unjust hatred. Don't you love people online who have never met you, but apparently they know everything about you, and they comment right below your comment, and you're like, wow, I didn't know I went to school with you in high school. Wow, I didn't know you, 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 know, you knew me that. But they don't, do they? And David knew what it was like to live with unjust hatred. And so he prays about that. And then lastly, in verse 19 through 28, he prays a petition for justice. 
So obviously, if all of this is coming upon him, he prays that ultimately, Lord, that you would deal with it and that I would not get bogged down by those who want my life. And so he says, plead my cause, O Lord, to those who strive with me, fight against those who fight against me. Now listen to what he says. I I love this. I'm not sure we can say this in the New Testament, but I love how David says it. He says, take hold of the shield and the buckler and stand up for my help. This is what he says, Lord, take my weapon and fight them. <laughs> just go, I'll, I'll sit here. You just go right ahead and take my stuff. Draw out the spear, verse 3, and stop those who pursue me. Say, say to my soul, I am your salvation. Now, Jesus tell us, tells us to, what does he want us to do? Love our enemy do good to those who spitefully treat you man i'm not sure david could have handled those words from christ he says draw the spear and stop those who pursue me says and say to my soul i am your salvation the idea is david i've got it get out of the way i'll take care of it that's what david is asking the lord to do take the wheel <laughs> He said, let those uh, be put to shame and brought to dishonor who seek after my life. And let those be turned back and brought confusion who plot my hurt. I love this theme that, he, uh, that David says, and he says it over and over. It's a theme. He says, bring confusion on them. Man, that's the greatest prayer we can do. Lord, just bring confusion on the enemy. Bring it to no bear. Let it just fall. Let the thoughts of man be dashed. He says, notice, who plot my hurt. Let them be like chaff before the wind, be blown through the wind. And let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery. All right, are you seeing that we can't really say this in the New Testament? We, I'm thinking it a lot, but Lord, forgive us. Let the angel of the Lord pursue them. He says, for without a cause, they have hidden their net for me in a pit, which they have dug without a cause for my life. David can't figure out why they're doing what they are doing. And it's just the heart of sinful men. You can't understand why they want to do. They've never met you, have they? I love that. All the, uh, you see that on uh, not only the Internet and on the media. Those Christians we got, get, you know, those pro-lifers and they, they always, those Bible, those evangelical, those, they've never met you. They've never met me. They've never walked through that door and sat down and seen a bunch of weirdos loving on each other and praising the Lord. Wouldn't it freak them out to come in the door? I put a call to all CNN reporters to walk in our door. See what it's like to be around normal believers that are not calling for the oh, those Christians who have signs and banners and they're the ones that the cameras walk up to. Why are they always interview the freaks? They never interview a normal. 
Sean, what do you think about it? Well, the Lord, you know, we're just praying that the Lord will do it, and we just ask for forgiveness and need to heal our life. No normal people. It's always the fire and brimstone people. And you wonder why they are confused. You ever had a family? Have you had to say this to your family member? I don't believe what you saw from that so-called Christian on the TV. I don't believe that. Have you had to defend what you believe by saying, those are the wackos? This is what we believe. We don't believe that the, our God is a God in, of anger. We believe that he is a God of justice. But ultimately, he's going to work at a... Man, that's tiring, isn't it? So we can't say what David is saying, but we love it anyway. For without a cause, they've hidden their net for me in a pit. And while they've dug it without a cause for my life. <laughs> Verse 8. Let destruction come on him unexpectedly. May the, we would say, may the IRS come in to his door. <laughs> I actually don't wish that upon anyone. And let his net that was hidden catch himself. I love that. Into that very destruction, let him fall. He says, my soul, my soul shall be joyful in the Lord, and it shall rejoice in his salvation. When he's caught in that last verse, Dave's like, man, I will throw a party that night, Lord. He says, all of my bones shall say, Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him? Yes, the poor and the needy from him who plunders him. The idea is, Lord, are you looking? Are you watching those rich taking the plunder? By the way, I heard some uh, interesting statistics this uh, uh, week. Um, a few years ago, and I mean a few years ago, I forget what administration it was. I think it was under uh, the Obama administration. Those who paid taxes actually paid taxes was around 41%. Does anybody know what it is now? Those who no longer pay taxes. So for, um, what did I say? 41% didn't pay taxes. I get it up. I'm confused from the whole Psalm 34 incident. Thanks a lot, Wes. Uh, those who didn't pay taxes, 41%. What do you think it is now? 61% of the nation doesn't pay any any federal tax at all. What does that say? What is that going to do to a nation? Uh, I don't know about you. I get tired about uh, tax the rich. Uh, they are. And they're paying 39% of the country. You see, oftentimes we want to go for the easy target when in fact it may not be the easy target. And so David here says, Lord, I just want you to see the poor and the rich and to take care of the situation. Deliver the poor. He says, fierce witnesses rise up and they ask me things I don't know. <laughs> and they reward me evil for good to the sorrow of my soul. Isaiah says that there is a day coming when, it, when they say evil is good and good is evil. Yes? So look at this verse. David says, hey, listen. They reward me evil for doing good. 
You look at a whole group of people who are following laws, doing what they're supposed to, and then you see a whole other people in Washington getting away with things all the time. And you wonder, well, if I did the same thing, I would be thrown in the pokey for a long time, right? We would be in prison. They reward evil for good to the sorrow of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth, and I humbled myself with fasting, and my prayers would return to my own heart. David even prayed for his enemies as well. He said, I paced about as though he were a friend or a brother, and I bowed down heavily as one who mourns for his mother. But in my adversity, they rejoice and they gather together. Attackers gathered against me, and I did not know it. And they tore at me, and they did not cease. And with ungodly mockers at a feast, they gnashed at me with my teeth. They, they made fun of David. They mocked David. They say what they do on social media. Lord, how long will you look on? The idea is, when will you do something, Lord? <laughs> Anybody else thinking that today? Lord, I, I may not. Are you looking on? When are you going to hit the bell? When are you going to tell the son to come get the bride? How far in the hole do we have to go? How deep of sin do we have to go? How long, oh Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. And I will give you thanks in a great assembly, and I will praise you among the people. The idea is, Lord, when you rescue me, again, I'm going to let everyone know what the God of Jacob is doing. Let them not rejoice over me who are wrongfully my enemies, nor let them wink with their eyes who hate me without a cause. For they do not speak peace. But they devise deceitful manners and against the quiet one in the land. And they also open up their mouth wide against me and say, Aha, the eyes have seen it. Um, what was recently? I'll have to refer to my wife. What, remember they, they were posting some really terrible, th oh, the Christians, um, was it getting covid you had seen a um, social media post and all the people that were uh, just that their hateful responses afterwards, like, where is your God? Why didn't he save you? Notice what they say. Our eyes have seen it. They opened up their mouth and they said, aha. They mock the God of the Bible and they mock his children. I'm glad that we're in Revelation, aren't you? Next week when we see the great white throne, no one will be able to write a check and everyone will have to stand before God and give an account and you and I will be on the sideline. I'm, I think our God will tell us no laughing, but <laughs> keep it down. 
they will not have an excuse before God. And that's a heavy day because when God says to them their judgment, they go downstairs. If you're at the great white throne judgment, you're not entering into the kingdom. You're there because you have to, uh, you have to answer for your sins. God will do all of that work. Notice what he says. He says, this you have seen, O Lord. Do not keep silent, O Lord. Do not be far from me. Stir yourself up and awake in my vindication to my cause, my God and my Lord. Lord, just wake up to the situation at hand and vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not see in their heart, ah, so we have it. And let them not say we have swallowed him up. The idea is we've won because we know they haven't won. Let them be ashamed and be brought to a mutual confusion who rejoice at my hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who exalt themselves against me. Again, see that theme? Let them be confused. Let all of what they're doing and their plans go awry. Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause, those who are praying with me, who rejoice. He says, and let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Part of our role as the body of Christ is when one member suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. This is what David is telling us. Let the Lord be magnified who had pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And my tongue shall speak of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. Chapter 36, short chapter. A psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. By the way, um, just in the title, it tells us about the heart of David. And what is he called? A servant. But isn't he king? (laughs) Isn't he the most powerful man in all of Israel? Yes. And yet he considered himself a what? A servant. Pastor Chuck used to teach us pastors. If you cannot walk in there and clean that toilet, if you cannot do the menial tasks around the church, you have no business being the senior pastor. If you cannot wash the feet of your people, if you haven't figured it out, it's all about the people. (laughs) Now, us pastors, we joke from time to time when we would say something like, ministry would be great without the people. But it's all about the people, isn't it? And if you cannot be a servant, you have no position here at Calvary Chapel, Myrtle Beach. If you have a servant's heart, we love to bring you into ministry and have you come alongside of us. But if it's about a title for you, see you later. You must have the heart of King David. And notice it says, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. He says, an oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. And the idea is, this is his thesis. This is his idea. And what is it? 
What's the problem with the wicked? It says it in the first line. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We live in that time. Because we have kicked God out of everything, because Charles Darwin, because of Karl Marx, because of John Dewey and the education system in our country, because of all that is happening, we have slowly kicked God out of every situation. And every Christmas season, isn't it a fight in a government school to sing a Christmas song? And because we have kicked God out of every place, the problem in our nation is not more laws. It is the fear of God. And without the fear of God, you don't have a moral people. Therefore, a constitutional republic doesn't work. All the founding fathers said the same thing. You must be a moral people for this government to work. Because every other government that came before it was a dictator. It, it was controlled by one person. I know what you're saying. That'll never happen here. Right? One person running everything? There is no fear of God before their eyes. Therefore, they can pass abortion laws. And they can do whatever they want to do. Because they have no fear of God. Notice what he does, the evil, the non-fearer, for he flatters himself in his own eyes with his Instagram post. Sorry, I have a different version. It's a modern version. Isn't that how it is? The man who does not fear God, he must do what? He must create himself to be God. It is the lie from the garden. It's the same lie that has been going on for roughly around 6,000 years. That you can be God. So therefore, you flatter yourself in your own eyes. And when he finds out his iniquity, and when he hates, the idea is he will find out his iniquity. Does he hate it, or does it change him? He says, the words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. And he ceases to be wise and to do good. Now, I, I, I want to put this on a billboard right downtown D.C., right? Listen, what does it say? When you don't fear God, listen to the progression. When you don't fear God, and then you think that you are God, and then you have iniquity, but you brush it off, and then you have wickedness and deceit in your heart, you cease to be wise. And I don't mean to say this in an unloving way, but the people that we are told are the smartest people on planet Earth are the most unwise people on planet Earth. They don't have common sense. They're not looking out for anybody but themselves. Every week, there is more about COVID and the deception and the lies and the... the there was a uh, CDC guy that came out this week and said, remember that six uh, uh, distance of six feet? And we were all told this was science. And he came out today and said, no, we just made it up. There was no science behind it at all, like we all thought. They first started out with 10 feet, and they're like, no one will ever do 10 feet. And then they did three feet, and then they came back to six. Science, right? It was proven. It wasn't proven at all. Every week something comes out. 
they ceased to be wise because they don't have a fear of God. Not only do they cease to be wise, but they cease to do what? They can't even do good. I think I just said I wasn't talking about politics, wasn't I? We have so many issues right now. We have people on the border. We have, I mean, it just, the list is on and on. They can't even get it right when they try to get it right. They don't have a fear of God. Are you saying an entire party is, I'm not saying the entire party. I'm just saying they can't make decisions like a believer can. No, let's keep going. My blood pressure's going up. I can feel it. We're going to have to install a monitor up here where I just grab it, and then the screen will tell me to knock it off. <laughs> Calm down. That's what it's going to say. Listen, he says, he devises wickedness on his bed. You know what I love to do when I'm on my bed? Nothing sleep. How many of you have an overactive brain at night? It's hard to shut it off, isn't it? Listen, I'm going to tell you, they tell you not to look at your, your phone and your media. You got to kind of turn it off. That helps your brain turn off, right? I mean, listen, we were, we're raised in a generation that, um, now, this is going to be funny for some people who are a little younger. Maybe, Wes, you might get this, but the, like around uh, a certain time, 12, not 12, but like 1, 2 in the morning, the TV would do the Star Spangled Banner. And then it would go to snow. And then it would be weird. It turned off. And you knew it was time to go to bed then. I joke. We're raised in that, right? We're raised around the stimuli all of the time. And it's hard to turn our head off. These people, they devise wickedness on their bed. That's all they do is think of a way to take good out it's crazy isn't it and he sets himself in a way that is not good that means the path that he's on is not good and he does not abhor evil i pose to you he loves evil (laughs) thank you for verse five lord your mercy O lord is in the heavens and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds because after you read that, you're like, we're, we're just living in the crazy world. Your righteousness is like great mountains, and your judgments are like a great deep, O Lord. And you have preserved man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O Lord. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. Again, it's the protection of God. So therefore, I put my trust in you. I don't put it in man. I don't put it in governments. I put it in you. I don't even put it into medicine either. Sure, medicine helps from time to time. But I trust in God. Lord, you direct me in this. What you would tell me in my heart. How precious is your loving kindness. In verse 8, it says, They are abundantly satisfied with the failures of your house 
and you give them drink from the rivers of your pleasure. Listen, they are abundantly satisfied. Did I say failure? That's probably not good. I was thinking of the evil, wicked. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you will give them drink from the river of your pleasure. Again, the theme that Paul picks up, to be content in all things. I'm content with what my father gives me at the moment, and I'm okay with that. Is it adversity? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it joyful? Whatever it is, it's from the Lord. He says, with you is the fountain of life. Excuse me. In your light, we see light. So, with you is the fountain of life. Where else would we? What did Peter say? Lord, where else would we go? You are the author of life. You're the same. Where would we go? Not only that is, in your light, we see light. What's the great thing about being a believer? There's a, there's a huge list, right? But isn't it great to see things that the, like we just saw, that the evil don't know? They don't know that. Your family members, if they're not believers, they can't see what you can see because we've read the book. We know the heart of man is wicked and desperately wicked. And so we are able to see that. But men love darkness more than light. Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. And let not the foot, foot, the foot, what's a foot? Let not the foot of pride come against me and let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. David knew what pride can do. He says, let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. <clears throat> and then he ends with, there the workers of iniquity have fallen and they have cast down and they are not able to rise. At, at the end of, <clears throat> not every psalm, but it would seem that David knows exactly after he cries out to the Lord, Lord, they're doing this, they're coming after me, the evil and the good and all that. But at the end of it, he, he tends to, to bring us back to this. They're not going to rise. They're going to fall. And for our purposes on Sunday morning, they're going to be judged at the great white throne. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Lord, that it's powerful. Lord, it helps us day by day when we dive into it. It's rich. It's full of blessing. It gives us life. It helps us to continue in the world in which we live in, Lord. It gives us light so we can see in the darkness. We pray for this world, Lord. I pray for those in Washington, D.C. I pray for our president, our vice president. We pray that their eyes would be open and that someone would walk up to them and give them the full gospel and that they would accept it. And that as a nation, we would repent of our our wickedness and that we would turn to you and we would guide others as we used to into righteousness. Let their plans, Lord, come to nothing. But let you be magnified in the midst of this nation, even in the midst of a dying nation. Thank you, Lord, for the period of time we live in to see prophecy fulfilled before our very eyes.
Thank you, Lord, for your church, for your body, for the encouragement of your word, of the encouragement of others. And we ask, Lord, that you would not leave us nor forsake us. And that you would not, as David said, remove your Holy Spirit from us. Thank you, Lord, for our time. And we thank you for your body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.